This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is a free platform for podcasts where you can record, edit, and share your podcast all in one place. We used to use several services, one to record and then one to edit and then one to get it to you. It took time and it took money to do this, and we are so happy to have found a new home with Anchor where we can do it all at once. Just download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. It's seriously so easy, and soon you guys can be making money and have a big wig podcast just like ours. Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. This is KJ and Jessica is here as well. What a delight. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Today we are doing a deep dive into obsessive compulsive disorder. So this disorder is where people have those recurring unwanted thoughts or ideas. Those are the obsessions that make them feel like they have to do something repetitively to kind of clear that thought out. And those are the compulsions. So those things combined kind of make up OCD. So to make that very simple, an obsession is a thought and a compulsion is a behavior. A lot of us can have these thoughts and behaviors, but they often do not disrupt daily life. So that means it's not going to be a diagnosis for you. But where it becomes a diagnosis is when these persistent behaviors become rigid and they affect your daily life pretty drastically. In the United States, about 2 to 3% of people are affected by OCD, and that could actually be an underrepresentation. There may be more people who are just not diagnosed with it. And some examples of obsessions are fear of getting contaminated by people or the environment, fear of blurting something out that you don't want to say, uh, extreme concern with keeping things clean and orderly, having precision, recurrent intrusive thoughts of sounds or words or numbers, fear of losing something. I worked with a client who had perfectionism. That was her obsession that she uh, had to be perfect and she could never lie to someone. Like if she felt like she let someone down or she lied to them, she would have these obsessive thoughts and then the compulsions came from that. So some typical compulsions or those behaviors that come after the obsessions are things like hand washing or showering, cleaning household objects, arranging things in a certain way, 
checking locks in your house, making sure everything's locked up, constantly seeking that approval, like I mentioned, um, or repetitively counting things. Those are just some kind of broad examples. I think OCD can be something that is pretty misunderstood. Like we can all have that general idea of it. I think a lot of that can be pretty common knowledge, but how many of us have actually gotten an opportunity to hear from someone who struggles with these obsessions and compulsions on a daily basis? And so we have Michelle Bernson on today, and she is going to talk to us about her experience with OCD and anxiety. And I'm so excited to hear from her. And I'm just really grateful, Michelle, for your willingness to come talk to us about this because not a lot of people feel like they want to be vulnerable and open about their mental health struggles. So thanks for being here. Yes, I'm excited. I love you guys and the podcast and I am happy that you had me on. So this will be great. All right, Michelle, let's get down to the nitty gritty. (laughs) So tell us, how does OCD, anxiety, how does it manifest in your life? When did you discover it? What is the effect? What have you done to treat it? Just basically, just give us the whole story from birth to now. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, (laughs) anything relevant to OCD from birth to now, what do you have for us? Okay. Well, as Fräulein Maria would say, let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. It is. (laughs) So I can remember having anxiety since I was, like, my earliest memories, three and four. Um, It's always been a part of my life. Um, sometimes I don't know what's personality and what's disorder. (laughs) Um, I was diagnosed with OCD when I was eight years old. So I actually had been having issues at home and my mom was noticing anxiety and behaviors such as, um, you know, repetitive, repetitively bringing up like the same concerns or, um, doing weird little compulsions, like things with my body, such as like popping my shoulder or um, strange behavior that, or clearing my throat. Um, Things that are, could be normal, but were very amplified. And so she took me to a therapist and he diagnosed me with OCD and um, put me on sertraline, which is an antidepressant that can help with anxiety and OCD. And then we went forward with some cognitive behavioral therapy and um, a little bit of exposure therapy, which looked like um, simple assignments such as uh, this week, you have to drink out of a drinking fountain every day, Um, which sounds so simple to, (laughs) I don't want to use the term normal people, but people without this issue. Typical. (laughs) Typical. That's Typical brains versus like atypical brains. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, and so for me, that was a big deal. That was a big struggle to drink out of a drinking fountain because of Mm -hmm. the anxiety it brought on. Um, but you know, we went through that. I can't say I was cured, but I was definitely helped and it became not a big deal in my life. And, um, as my, you know, I kind of was in remission, we'll say. And then a few years later, my health problems, chronic health issues, started to amplify again. And with that brought increased anxiety 
and the mm-hmm. OCD kind of came back full force. And since that point, I have had it, you know, ever since I went back to therapy, but as a teenager was not receptive or willing to um, learn anything from this man who I was convinced knew less than me <laughs> about myself and the condition. I mean, and you have it. And he just <laughs> knows about it. So he just knows about it. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, typical teenager in the sense of, I know more than you. Um, so that wasn't helpful. I, you know, it was my bad. And then I just never went back and I've kind of, um, I have a very positive view of therapy and I believe in therapy. Um, and I know that it works but you have to be willing for it to work. And Mm -hmm. since then, as an adult, I've, you know, I've been on my antidepressant for 22 years now. And that's just a very big part of my life. I understand that I need it and that it helps me. Um, But I deal with OCD and anxiety every day. We can go as far as every, you know, minute of every hour of every day, but I've learned to manage it so that I can live a functional life. So what does that look like every minute of every hour of every day? What, what are some of your obsessions? What are some of your compulsions? Um, super fun stuff to hear about. <laughs> I get excited. But it is interesting to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Get you excited. Know? That's no, the no. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some things include, you know, hand washing. I'm definitely labeled as a germaphobe and, Um, I have fears of being around people who are sick or intrusive thoughts of, am I going to get sick because of this or that or that? Because I touched this, because I ate this, because I was around this person, because I'm wearing outside clothes in my house, because I pet a dog, (laughs) you know, like very normal things um, are quietly in my mind being repeated over and over. Um, So I, those compulsions are manifest in different ways. Some more sensical ones would be hand washing or showering or cleaning high touch surfaces or um, cleaning things that I had outside of my house and bringing them in my house and cleaning them before I can touch them in my house. Um, Other things, it's not all just germs for me. Um, It can be, you know, anxiety about a certain situation. I remember, for example, like when I was a child, I had to, um, I was certain that there were spiders in my bed. And so I would lift up my pillow very routinely and flick my sheet, look under the bed, rub my hand around the edge of the bed. And then I would go to turn out my light. And then before I could turn out my light, I said, Ooh, I don't know if I checked that all the way. Like I know I just did, but I, it wasn't enough for my brain. So I had to go back again. And that would, you know, happen two to five times a night before I went to bed. Um, now that's not an issue for me, but the funny thing is about OCD is that the compulsions, the behavior, um, doesn't necessarily reflect a solution for, for the anxiety or for the problem. So Another thing I did as a kid was um, pop my shoulder. Like I have a home video of me just talking and randomly popping my shoulder. And it kind of looks like I have Tourette's. Like I, you know, not to make light of that, but um, it was so severe that I was like, wow, this is hard for me to watch. Um, And that was just when I, you know, had a thought that gave me great anxiety. I carried out that compulsion to lessen the anxiety, but that's a very temporary fix. It doesn't last. It doesn't take it away permanently. And when you give into a compulsion repeatedly, 
um, you tend to rely more on the compulsion. Um, I feel like I'm long-winded here, but I do want to say this too, in the sense of like compulsions are a symptom. They're not like, if you fix a compulsion, like in my mind as a child, I was like, this is embarrassing. I don't want people to see this. So I stopped doing that. Uh-huh. the shoulder tick. And I started to do things that I could hide, like right. counting in my head or repeating a phrase in my head until I controlled the thought. And so I think that there's a definite um, hiding because of judgment or fear what other people will think. Um, I'm not ashamed of the, like, I'm very candid and open about it, but my issue with people's thoughts on OCD is that they have a very limited understanding and they'll tend to make jumps in their mind of like, oh, you're doing that because of this or blame everything on that when a lot of times it isn't. So it's more of a privacy thing because you want people to know you for you and not like the conditions one part of me. But if you introduce yourself as, hello, you know, let's go on a date. I have OCD. Then (laughs) people will view things through the lens of OCD, Mm -hmm. which is unhelpful. Yeah. Well, and really you can think about OCD is the way that your system is choosing to manage your anxiety, which sometimes works and sometimes really doesn't work. And so it is one of those things where it's like, okay, I can understand that like, yeah, if I'm around a sick person, I'm more hyper aware and whatnot. But I think the difference is, is that I can then at some point say, I'm fine. Let's let it go. And I can move on. Mm-hmm. Whereas like you, it, it just will continue to be intrusively coming back of like, oh, but then this and this and this and like, what if and what if? And, yes. and that's really, I think the crux of it is like, yeah, those symptoms don't change and people will assume like, oh yeah, you're a germaphobe, but that's irrational because you're not really getting, you know, but like they don't know what's really going on in your mind. And that's, that's kind of the thing that you only share with people that you're actually close with and who are supportive and safe and you correct, know. right. That you can trust and that love you enough to know that <laughs> they can get past it. You know, it's not, it's not yeah. just like, Oh, I see this and. <laughs> right. And that it is just like a part of you. It's not all of you. Not and it's, whole. you know, yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. Yeah. In your relationships, how would you say that it's kind of manifested itself? Like, have you had to have people do certain things around you? Do you have a close circle of trusted people that you spend most of your time? Like, how has it just impacted you socially overall? So that's a good question. Socially, it's interesting because I try to keep a lot of it private. I'm definitely a people pleaser in the sense of I want to make others around me feel comfortable and I don't want to project my issues on people. So a lot of things I can keep hidden. I've found ways to make things that I do look normal, like like normal tasks to be done. Um, but it definitely uh, affects your relationships. I have certain friends who I am close to who they understand that, you know, when they're sick, I am not interested in coming over and for, you know, seven days until like, did anyone else in the family get this? You know, like, is, is everyone through the cycle? Not just you're sick, but okay. We know that like with the flu, a bug will come around like 48 hours later, someone else is going to get it. Like, I want to make sure that, so they understand like not to call me or to, that I'm not going to want to do something like that. Um, 
you know, when people come over to my house, if they're eating dinner, I ask that, you know, they wash their hands first. Um, and you can pass things off like that on just like, I'm a clean person, but people who know, know. And it's more than just, that would be nice if you washed your hands. It's if you don't wash your hands, I can't think about anything else for the rest of the night, even though I'm listening to everything you say and paying attention, the thoughts are running in my mind. So, um, you have to find people who are empathetic and understanding and explain it in a way that maybe they can relate to, um, find something in their life that you can say, you know, what weighs heavily on your mind and, and make connections there. But I do think it's very hard to, to understand because it's exhausting for me, but when people around you have to deal with it, that's exhausting too. Um, at this point in life, I don't feel like people around me are severely affected, but growing up for my parents and siblings, um, I recognize that that was hard and frustrating and other people who are close to me in my life also have OCD. And the interesting thing is, is that I would get frustrated with them, how their OCD manifested because it was different than mine. It was different than yours, right? Yep. Yeah. Because your brain is like, excuse me, that's irrational. And they're like, excuse right. me, you're the You're irrational. irrational. Exactly. Yeah. So it's given me a lot of empathy and understanding. And I feel like that's a huge blessing from all of this is my ability to feel for other people. Because I've come, you know, I've grown from that and recognized that, oh, this is hard for me. That's probably hard for them. And this is how it's showing up in their life. So that's been really cool for me. Something, you know, silver lining of the daily garbage. <laughs> we always look for the good because yes. what else can we do really? Right. Yep. And I really like the language you used there when you said, you know, other people in my family have OCD. It's not, they are OCD. Right. You are taking a step back from that and you're like, no, OCD is not everything that I am. It's something that I have and something that I deal with day to day, but that doesn't have to completely impact my entire life or my relationships. Like I can have functioning relationships, healthy relationships with people because I work on this. And it's something that's it sounds like throughout your life has really evolved and changed and shifted, which I think is awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's one it's it's definitely a part of me and it's shaped who I am and how I act and how I treat others, but it's, there's, you know, there's so much more to me than that. And I think that in sharing, you know, things on this podcast, having my name out there and that attached with me, a lot of people who know me do not know that I have this and it hasn't been hidden or out of shame, but for, I mean, knowing that not everyone's going to get it, but if I can be someone that helps people, recognize that hey like life goes on like you're okay like people deal with stuff every day and we can make it work then it's like yeah I'm happy to share because uh I don't want to be stereotyped or seen in just one way and nor nor does anyone else with whatever they have or are dealing with so last year with this pandemic that happened surprise great awesome you're kind of on this side of it now but like hearing your story, I'm just, mm -hmm. my mind's going and I'm like, how did Michelle deal with this? Like, this sounds like something that would just push someone over the edge. Do you feel like your mental health took like a dive last year? Do you feel like 
it was a time for you to kind of dig deep and like rebuild and now you're at a different place like how did that affect you oh kj where to begin (laughs) (laughs) we'll now spend the next hour dissecting the last year of michelle's life yeah um the pandemic was my own personal hell. <laughs> um, it was really hard with the background that I have. Like everyone was going through different things. But for me, it was like, ah, everything that I already deal with every day, amplified times 10 with all of the um, news outlets, like forcing it you know, down your throat and walking outside and having half people you know, think it's a joke and half the people being fearful, um, and everything in between, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to make this political at all. Cause yikes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, let's not do that. But point being that, um, both sides amplified my fear, you know, taking it really seriously makes it feel very heavy. Taking it lightly makes me feel like, okay, I'm going to get it. Um, there, you know, I spent a lot of time alone, Um, I don't think I've ever spent more time alone in my entire life. Um, And that was both positive and negative. I did, I would say the first three months, I felt like the world was crumbling, Um, knowing that it wasn't. And I I didn't feel unsafe. I felt like I was okay because I was doing everything that in my power to be responsible and, you know, take care of my health. But I felt so emotionally burdened and um, very weighed down by anxiety and and depression um, and OCD. But it was also such a great opportunity. I don't think I've ever spent more time on self-discovery or personal growth or um, recognizing how I am in control of my life and my happiness and what I do and how I proceed forward. Um, that it, it was a kind of a blessing in disguise. It was a awful blessing, right? Like it was not fun for anyone, but I learned so much and I found ways that I could better cope. And so that was huge for me. Yeah. It's really interesting how you, yeah, you can take something that is like a personal hell so hard, but then if you, yeah, if you use it to like hone these skills and to actually improve your ability to handle this thing that is now unmanageable because of a worldwide pandemic, you know, like it can be such an opportunity for growth, which is always my, tell my clients in like such a sarcastic tone, like that sounds like an opportunity for growth, you know? And it is, but it sounds like you truly did take it upon yourself to be like, yes, I pulled back, I isolated, my mental health got a lot worse, but then I was like, I need to figure out how to continue to live, you know, because you can't control the world's circumstances. All you can control is what's happening inside of you, really, right? Right. And I think a tendency of, generally speaking, of people with OCD is controlling because you want to control the people around you or your circumstances so that you can avoid your triggers so that you can avoid being put in situations so much easier yeah if everyone <laughs> yeah. just washes their hands and i don't have to worry about people not washing their hands but then i don't look, get to I don't choose have a if problem. people do yeah. that yeah. <laughs> right right so yep and so yeah it's recognizing i can only control myself and what am i going to do with that knowledge something i think could be really interesting to hear you talk about is 
kind of the mind game that is OCD, but then how you kind of walk yourself through an obsession and compulsion and come out of the other side. Because people at some level, I mean, we all experience anxiety at some level, some anxious moments now and then, and we kind of all have to do this process. You just have to do it a lot more often and probably a lot more intensely than Mm -hmm. most people do. And so can you kind of walk us through what that process looks like for you in like a healthy way when you're in your healthy mind and you kind of get to the other side of an obsession? Okay. So I want to state first that I'm definitely not perfect at it. And even after 22 years of like recognizing what I have, sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. And I would say what it looks like for me on a good day is a thought will come into my mind, um, do this or, (laughs) you know, kind of like, um, this sounds like a simple one, but a, a neighbor's dog comes over to work every day that I work at and I pet him. And in my mind, I'm like, fleas, ticks, mites, dander, like this is on my body. I need to wash my hands immediately. Um, And so that's a very simple one, but I will in my mind be like, okay, I recognize that I'm feeling this way because I have anxiety, because I have OCD. I feel the need, the compulsion to wash my hands immediately. And then I have to remind myself, it's okay if I don't wash my hands. What would happen if I didn't wash my hands right now? I kind of work through the the worst case scenario in my mind. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, okay, well, you have what some would consider dirty hands, what many would consider nothing. (laughs) And then you can go on with your day. Um, So I kind of call, the first thing I do is I call out the thought um, for what it is and um, recognize that just because it's a feeling or thought that I had doesn't make it valid. Um, Not to invalidate what I'm feeling, but that the thought doesn't have to be true just because I think it. Yes, I think that's a huge thing. That's like the first step. A lot of people with anxiety haven't even learned that yet because they do think that their brain tells them the truth. And so it's a huge step to realize that your brain is not always right. Yeah. The feelings, the thoughts are valid, but that doesn't mean that they're correct. Right. Yeah. That's how you differentiate those things. After I call the thought out, then I just try to, I do, I didn't mention this earlier. I try to deep breathe. Like I try to just like relax through the moment. Like everything will be okay. Remind myself that this is a minor thing that life goes on that yes, I'm feeling this way now, but I won't always be feeling this way. And so I'll just kind of breathe through it. And then sometimes like it's done. And until it comes up again, I don't have to worry about it. But if the thought keeps going there, then a lot of times I'll go through one of my compulsions, which can, depending on the day, look like a different thing um, where I'll have to say a prayer that I'll be okay where I will um, have to do <laughs> this little, I actually kind of want to share it because I think it's comical and I'm the only one that has something to lose here. So <laughs> something in my mind. <laughs> we appreciate the sharing. <laughs> yeah. So I'll have to do like, I don't know if you've heard of shave and a haircut, two bits. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I have to go. And there's not a certain amount of time I have to do it. I do it until I feel calm inside. So Usually I'll do it, you know, once or twice. And then sometimes the thought will come back again and I'll have to do my little thing again or Mm -hmm. say something in my mind. um, (laughs) Like, uh, 
Prangatingatangatangatangatangatan. Prangatingatangatangatangatangatan. And I was not expecting that. Yes. Because yes. I've never heard that before in my yep. whole life. So. It's not real. Um, it's actually a form of a phrase uh, that I did so that I could say without people knowing what the words were. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So I could play that off as like, hey, I'm quirky. I'm, I'm just like, bring a ting 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 a ting. Like no one knows. Like mm-hmm. Michelle's just dancing right now. That's, you, no one's going to question it because she does. <laughs> Because that's fine. That's just like a weird quirk. Yep, it's like a weird versus quirk. Like, yeah. Versus if I said, you know, if I don't do this, my family will die. You know, if I said that mm-hmm. out loud, then people are like, ooh, there's pause for concern. Um, yeah. Luckily, that's not something I have. I don't think anyone will die. Um, but that's a very common thing with OCD. It is very common, yeah. Randomly thinking, I will die or my family members will die. I'm grateful not to have that one. But mm-hmm. that's how it looks, you know, day to day. Little weird things like that. Right. Well, and you really can see how some of those compulsions are are very rational of like, hey, I wash my hands and then I feel fine. And then some of them are very irrational where it's like, I have to do this self-soothing mm-hmm. rhyme until I feel better. And really that's not changing anything about the anxiety at all. Yep. It's not changing anything about the trigger. It's not changing how, you know, but it is allowing your body to calm down, calm which down. is really great. But ultimately, it's not like a true fix. And so that's why we keep coming back to compulsions over and over again. And that's why ultimately you want to treat that anxiety trigger if you do have OCD because that's where all the power is. It's the power. You think the power is in the compulsions. Like I can control something if I do my compulsions. But really the power is in learning to manage that anxiety and that trigger. And then over time, you can have a much more functional way of coping absolutely yeah absolutely because the compulsion isn't a healthy coping mechanism it's just a coping mechanism it's not changing the circumstance it's just you know what some people do some people overeat or run or this or that to deal with anxiety and it's like I do weird compulsions um Mm -hmm. and the the funny thing about compulsions is you don't choose them (laughs) no I'm right, because like, you wouldn't be like, this makes a lot of sense. I'm yeah. going to do this, and then I'm going to feel better. It right. just Maybe, There's something in you that comes up with it. That's what's so mesmerizing to me is over the years, I've probably had about 20 different compulsions, and um, I've cycled through them, which goes to show that the compulsions are just a symptom. They're not. You can't treat mm-hmm. the symptom and expect the problem to go away. Um, right. So it doesn't matter what I do. Um, the anxiety is still there. So it's treating the anxiety. And finding healthy ways to cope with that. Right. Which we're working yeah. on. <laughs> which is, yeah, which is, that truly is just like a lifelong, we're always <laughs> yes. learning how to cope better, cope ahead. Yeah. And to, I mean, definitely I noticed that I am way more symptomatic when I am going through very stressful times or haven't had enough sleep or am, mm-hmm. um, ultra busy, like a packed schedule, you know, anything like that amplifies the anxiety. So if I can monitor my schedule and get enough sleep, then that makes a night and day difference. What happens when you leave your normal environment, your normal day-to-day routine, your home, and you go on vacation? Or, I mean, does time off or vacation for you cause a lot of additional anxiety is it something you have to prep for for months like how does that look for you 
That is such a relevant question. So I just got back from vacation. And it's funny that all my favorite things in life are also my biggest issue. Like I have, I have so many issues around them because of the OCD. So traveling is one of my favorite things in the world, but I have to go through, like, I have to do a checklist. I have to triple check the things that I'm leaving behind, the things that I'm taking with me. While I'm on the trip, I'm worried about what I'm eating, how I, my wake and sleep cycle, if I'm going to be safe, how, you know, it does all sound like normal thoughts, but again, it's the intrusive, it's the will not end. So just going in circles and even knowing that, hey, how many times do you go on vacation and it's fine? Um, that's not enough, <laughs> you know, not being able to stop that. So ex- vacations are very exhausting for me. Um, so are things like, you know, planning a trip, like to this, like to a bigger city, just like for a day, anything out of my normal schedule, um, is very hard for me to do. Um, but I take pride in the fact that I do it because I think that pushing through that shows me every time I push through something, Oh, look what you can do. Um, and that makes you more able to do something in the future or say yes to something. You feel like this has translated at all to like personality traits, like who you are as a person. Like if someone just met you at work, they're like, wow, Michelle is so scheduled and she's so detail oriented and, you know, she checks things multiple times. Like, do you think in that way, it's become just kind of who you are in general. Yeah, this is something that I waste a lot of time thinking about, (laughs) like which came first, the chicken or the egg. I don't know who I am without anxiety. I don't know who I am without OCD. Um, I don't know if, you know, some things are just genetic traits, like my mother's very clean, my mother's very organized. Um, nature and nurture growing up with that um, disposition or learning behaviors. Um, But it's definitely translated into personality traits. And, you know, some of them, yeah, being very tidy, um, planning ahead, like being very scheduled. Um, I'm a very thoughtful person. (laughs) So overthinking, like, I, I overthink everything. Um, which can be good and bad. So yeah, I don't know. Is this me? Is this who I am? Or is this all as a result of my OCD? And I do think you, you take the OCD out of there because when I have had things under control, I still have, you know, these characteristics, but of course they are amplified by OCD. And you wouldn't call those characteristics unhealthy, like... No, I love no. when people are detail oriented or, mm-hmm. you know, have routines or, you know, I can, they're really reliable and thoughtful. Like those are amazing qualities for someone to have. I could see how though that can spill into it being obsessive and that just causing you a lot of distress. Totally. Um, and I have a friend, it's interesting. I have a friend with pretty severe depression and anxiety and her (laughs) we're quite the pair because her anxiety is amplified by making plans and mine is amplified by not making plans so we have to meet in this happy yeah Yeah. (laughs) love story of the year (laughs) we have to meet in this (laughs) perfect middle of 
okay, I know that I can't plan things a week ahead, like when I would like, but I can plan something a day ahead, whereas she wants to plan something right when we go. <laughs> and, yes. and that makes me want to die. <laughs> I was so... say, it is so funny when it's like so opposite and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have to find quite a compromise here. Cause... Yeah. But it's good for us. You know, that flexibility, again, like when you can, when you're able to let go of some of that control and see that things mm-hmm. are okay. Are okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. I do. I think it, a lot of anxiety is just a practice of doing it anyway and then really assessing the outcome and being like, okay, I made it through, you know, it doesn't always end in catastrophe, which is wonderful and beautiful, but it doesn't necessarily stop the thoughts from coming, but it really gives you a lot of power of being like, I remember that last week when this happened, I was okay. And I can pull on that strength because yeah, it rarely stops like that anxiety from overwhelming you, but you can do something different with it once you learn and push through it and makes you a stronger person. Like I was strong then I can be strong again, you know? Yes. And that, that is a tool in my tool belt that I should have mentioned earlier. When I go through an experience, um, when I'm going, you know, through an episode or whatever you would want to call it, um, I will pull on, okay, remember how you did this before and everything was okay. Like, look at what you did. You forced yourself to do it last time and things worked out. Mm -hmm. And so having that understanding is huge. Okay. So everyone wants to know how accurate are shows like Monk or uh, that Monk is the only one I can think of. Okay, as good else? as it gets, the movie. As good as Jack it gets, Nicholson. yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I know that one. I watched it in psychology class, so that's mm-hmm. how I know it. Um, yeah, how accurate are like the media portrayals of OCD? Uh, you know, it they can be accurate, but I think the most important thing to say is that one person's experience is not everyone else's experience. So like, monks experience or jack nicholson just because they have to do something doesn't mean that everyone with ocd has to do it but i do think Mm -hmm. they they do a decent job like in as good as it gets one thing he does is he has to um he's very germaphobic and he has to bring his own own silverware and he has to open a new bar of soap every single time he washes his hands so he goes through hundreds of bars of soap Mm -hmm. um whereas it's like oh i can see myself in him in the sense of like i I like, I specifically buy pump soap because I don't want to touch a bar of soap. <laughs> right. Cause yeah, that's, you're like, I get it. It is gross. Right. Or like I'll wipe off my silverware at a restaurant, but I don't have to bring my own silverware. So there's elements of truth. And I just think people should not generalize. Like if you know someone who has something, ask them, ask them, don't make assumptions about their condition or blame something in their life as a result of the OCD. It may or may not be. So, um, I, I never shy away from like candor, you know, if someone's has a genuine question, that's not offensive or rude. It's just like, if you're trying to understand, then mm-hmm. everyone gains something from that. Yeah, truly. Which is why we appreciate so much, like all the things you've said, because it does help clarify and help you understand like, yeah, what is really happening in OCD versus just like, I have to touch every lamp post that I walk past, you know, like, (laughs) because I, yeah, I think a lot of times with OCD, it's very easy to fixate on the compulsions. Yes. Cause that's what people see. Exactly. Because, oh, I can see that you did this, you lined that up, you know, whatever, but really it's about that obsession and that those feelings that come with the obsessive thinking 
that are so hard because the compulsion is really just like a self-soothing thing. But the real angst of having OCD is in in the mind having that huge anxiety that doesn't go away unless I do touch that light switch 49 times, which is a hassle. And it is, it's like, I think we often can assume that like that person really thinks that's going to help, but there's like, you can see past it, but you also can't, you know, like, you know, my family will not die unless I touch that light switch 49 times, but also my family will die unless I touch the light switch, (laughs) you know? And so it's this thing where it's like this polar opposite of like, you can understand that things are irrational, but still that anxiety is so big. That feeling is so big. The thoughts so strong that you can't fight against it because it's such a huge thing. And I think that's why medication therapy, being aware, like being very self-aware, like you are, doing a lot of preventative stuff to keep yourself in a healthy place. It's just so important so that it doesn't become so overwhelming, you know? It doesn't dominate your life. Yeah. Right. You can make it, it, it can be a part of your life without dominating your life if you get the help that you need. Mm-hmm. And it can be just like a little sprinkle of interesting. <laughs> it just makes Michelle more interesting, you know? <laughs> it's one of those things where it does, it does add like personality and depth to you as a person but it's also one of those things that, yeah, you don't want to lead with it because you don't want people to misunderstand before they're ready to Correct. understand. Totally, yeah. totally. I think that's awesome that you talk to us about this because, like you said, not everyone in your life knows this. And, like, that's a big deal to share about. But I think, really, what I've learned from you and what I learned from people that struggle with things like this over and over again is that it's something that you can really move through. And it it's there, but it doesn't have to completely overwhelm your life and you can be a fully functional human who has meaningful relationships and purpose and a voice. And I think that's, I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? Like, I'm just reminded of that over and over. And so I really appreciate you being that reminder for me today. It was really awesome learning all about that. I learned a lot. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad I could do it. Thanks for listening and asking good questions about it because I think there are a lot of misconceptions. So hopefully some things were cleared up and it feels, yeah, it feels good to share something like that. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Bryich from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.